Hello, listeners. This is episode 55 of the Health Unchained podcast. And before we get started with today's show, I do want to let you all know that I will be in Austin, Texas on February 26th for the Blockchain and Digital Transformation in Health 2020 event. I'll be moderating a panel on Web 3.0 and the future of decentralized healthcare. The panelists include Todd Chamberlain, co-founder and CEO of MedBlocks, also Heather Flannery, global leader of Consensus Health, and Brennan Hodge, CEO of Citizen Health. For a preview, check out episode 22 of the Health Unchained podcast to listen to my interview with Brennan Hodge, where we talked about price transparency in the healthcare industry. If you plan to join, reach out, and I'd love to meet you there in person. Find the Eventbrite link to the conference in the show notes and my pinned tweet on Twitter. Also, for 2020, I will be updating my website, so let me know if you have any suggestions because I want to make sure this show is most valuable for you, the listeners. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. So on today's episode, I will be speaking with Dr. Tiffany Gray, who is an advisor, consultant, and adjunct professor at George Washington University. She also serves as the co-chair and advisor for the Global Health and Disaster Relief Subcommittee as part of the United Nations Blockchain for Impact and Sustainable Development Initiative. We talked about a variety of public health issues, including nicotine dependency among young adults, as well as the coronavirus and its spread globally, and how blockchain could serve as a tool for improving access for patients on a global scale. I really enjoyed my conversations with Dr. Gray, and I hope you do too. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to the Health Unchained podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Tiffany Gray. Dr. Gray is a public health researcher and advisor based in Washington, D.C., and she covers areas such as mental health, substance abuse interventions, as well as population health more generally. Dr. Gray, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm super excited for this conversation today, and I think what would be best to start off with is uh, maybe get a brief background of who you are as a person, what you're currently doing. I think our audience would appreciate that. All right. So as you said, I'm Dr. Tiffany Gray. I have a doctorate in public health. So I have a uh, master's in public health and maternal and child health. And uh, my doctorate in uh, public health is in health behavior. Um, I received both from George Washington University, uh, which is now the Milken Institute School of Public Health. Um, my research over the last couple of years has focused on tobacco control and tobacco research, I'm really interested in adolescent health and looking at uh, youth initiation, um, varying factors that play a role in not just tobacco use, but other disparities or factors that play a role into different behaviors. So that's led to my current role as a public health advisor with the DC Department of Health, where I'm a public health advisor and I advise on um, 
tobacco control strategies and policies for the District of Columbia. Um, so I've been in that position for coming up on a year. My year anniversary is coming up in a couple of days. Um, and then I wear many hats outside of that. So I consult in on a variety of different projects. I've landed in the blockchain and technology space as well. Um, so um, informing others about the importance of thinking about uh, socioeconomic factors, health disparities, and how that plays a role in developing um, various tools and resources to address health in many different ways. Um, and outside of that, I like to run. So I'm a marathon runner. I completed my, oh, wow. was it my fourth or fifth marathon last fall in Chicago, and I finally achieved my sub four marathon. So I'm very excited and still riding that high. Um, so now it's just chasing down time and let's see if we can get a Boston qualifier out of that. Um, but I run, I go to the gym most of the time, <laughs> work out, um, you know, try to practice what I preach. Um, yeah, so no, that's exactly and my, exactly. yeah. And keep my plants alive. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, and it takes a, you know, a good amount of discipline to run marathon. Um, so yeah. congratulations on your runs and your success Thank so you. far. Um, and you mentioned that you are in, in the field of helping people or helping understand why kids and younger people start to use tobacco. And I'm sure that also involves uh, e-cigs as well, nicotine. Yeah. And that must yeah. be a huge part of your work these days. Yeah. So that has been, um, you know, with e-cigarettes and vaping has been a big issue um, through the end of 2019 uh, up until earlier this year with the volley cases, uh, with the vaping lung injury cases. So um, you know, making sure that we are getting information out to the public, um, providing facts, so developing fact sheets and resources, not just for the public, but also providers, um, so that when patients or individuals are coming to them, they know how to speak to them about the issue, what to look for, um, developing uh, educational materials for parents and teachers. Um, it's been an issue, I mean, the issue of e-cigarettes has been around in the tobacco control research world for a while. Uh, we were talking about this back in 2012, 2013. Um, this was part of a big part of my research and work, um, looking at some of the data that was coming out of some of the national data sets. Um, and we are in DC with Truth Initiative. Truth Initiative has done a lot of work around campaigns, so I've worked with them closely both while um, in my graduate studies as well as after. Um, so it's been a big huge part of our work, but that's only one piece. Um, again, we have big issues such as with vaping um, and the hype surrounding them. It's similar to uh, coronavirus and the flu. It's just a good time to, yes, talk about the issue at hand, but also remind people that this is ongoing and it doesn't just stop here and that there are other factors and policies and things at play um, that are just as important. Um, so it, it's one of those times where it's a good time to also bring up some of those longstanding issues mm -hmm. um, and get people to care beyond the scare, essentially. Yeah, and I feel like nowadays, I think, you know, since 2012 and 13, there's been a lot of new e-cigs that have been introduced. A lot of that is because it's just a lot cheaper to manufacture, mm -hmm. I believe, and kids are getting seduced into using it, you know, as young as like middle school. And how do you, like how do you feel about that? Uh, how, what do you what do you think? It's, I, there's a lot of psychology behind it as well, right? Right. It's great. I mean, great marketing. <laughs> it's yeah. all marketing. I mean, it's whether you're marketing 
a food product or a household item. I mean, a lot of that advertising, it's about understanding behaviors and what drives individuals and what can entice others. And we also live in the age where it's so much easier with social media. Mm. Um, and Jewel was really good at their, you know, changing the, the, they're using old tactics, but making it fresh and new. Mm -hmm. So I like to call sort of the, um, their latest campaigns around um, switching to make the switch yeah. or make the switch campaign. I, I like to think of it as blue 3.0 of, you know, take back your freedom using that type of language of you're independent or making it look cool and hip using bright colors, using young folks on their advertisements, um, talking about how it's so much better than what was before. It's less harmful. Nothing's less harmful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and just, and with kids also just enticing with the different fruit flavors or the cotton candy flavors. I mean, that's rampant, not just with Juul, but throughout the e-cigarette industry as well. Um, and of course, the the argument is it's much better for people than smoking a, you know, the pack of cigarettes. There's less chemicals. There's still chemicals. Mm -hmm. Whether it's less or not, it's still harmful. There are better ways that we can work to get people to stop tobacco and quit tobacco than pushing a new product because all you're doing is creating a new addiction. Um, there's still nicotine in the products. Um, it's hard. There's when it comes to regulation, how much nicotine is being delivered in these products. People are making these products in their homes. Um, sure. You know, there's just a lot going on in there. But when it comes to, again, youth and getting enticed, it's if my friends are doing it, I think that's how a lot of that's actually how a lot of young individuals, middle schoolers, high schoolers, got into utilizing these products it's their friends were using it so it's not that they were even out buying it you could just get it from your friend you try it and next thing you know it your friend may not be as addicted but depending on just your biology or your you know what you may be going through or what you're having you've become enticed and now you're utilizing this product long term um so yeah there's a lot of different factors that go into it and i think that i think on both ends everyone has to be real and realistic as well as listening to consumers okay what is driving you to continue to use this product what can help you quit or what can we do to make it a lot easier um right. to get better uh, to, to move yeah. on from from these types of harmful harmful products that's true and i i do understand the adult use case you know if mm -hmm. people are 18 or actually now i think it's 21 in some states yeah Yes. Uh, if they are of legal age and they want to do it just like alcohol, I guess they should be able to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that's okay. And I, I'm assuming that's your belief as well. Right, right. Yeah. It's it's one of those things of, again, it's just, it's the argument again of if it's about cessation and it's about getting people to quit products, I can understand that argument. However, when we're talking about youth or younger adults or the issue with e-cigarettes is you have a, some adults and young adults who've never used, utilized a tobacco product ever and they're now using this product. Right. How is that really They're not switching from anything. Yeah, they're not switching from anything. So that argument goes out the window of, oh, and, you know, you have individuals. There was a we excuse me in D.C. are one of our local partners um, hosts the Tobacco Free Coalition, they have a DC called it Quits Week. So we work with 
the coalition works with university partners as well as the American Cancer Society and some of the other uh, local health and tobacco or, um, prevention organizations. And, and there's a week of different events. Um, we get youth involved. Uh, you have a forum. And every once in a while, or most of the time, you will have individuals who are from the opposite side, tobacco industry, vaping industry now, come to those meetings and say, you know, push back against the data of, well, if we, you know, raise the age or if we get rid of these products, it's going to push people back to smoking and using cigarettes. And that's not the argument. It won't push people back to cigarettes. They're not going to, um, again, a lot of people who are using these products never use cigarettes to begin with. Right. Um, what's what's and, interesting is they, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, there are <laughs> tobacco companies uh, tobacco leaf companies that have actually actually purchased e-cig companies now. So it's like one conglomerate. Right. Altria uh, had a huge, has a huge stake in, in Juul. And again, uh, you know, their argument or the argument is that they are trying to make, you know, get people to stop and provide healthier alternatives. And it's, is providing healthier alternatives really the way? Shouldn't we be figuring out better ways to actually get people off of these products? But yeah. of it's course it comes down to, right. it is, and it comes down to their business, it's money. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, from that standpoint, I understand yeah. it's money and, you know, you need consumers, but yeah. Yeah, well, that was really interesting. Um, I don't want to spend all the time talking about smoking cessation. <laughs> it's an interesting topic, definitely an important public health topic. There's also like the coronavirus we can get something that we can get into today as well. <laughs> um, but as you know, Health Unchained is a podcast about blockchain and healthcare. So uh, I would like to ask you how you first heard about blockchain, because I know that you also do some advising and consulting around blockchain. Right. So I came to know about blockchain a couple years, maybe about three or four years ago. Um, so a colleague of mine was getting into the space um, and my introduction to blockchain was about was through Bitcoin cryptocurrency. So in the beginning for me, it was how does this even relate to me? It just seemed foreign. It didn't seem, you know, but it was just what is this? <laughs> Um, and there was a lot of hype around, you know, that this is going to change the world and this is the next wave. And if you don't get on board, then you're going to get left type of messaging. Um, and as I continued to go to different events in the area, uh, go to different meetups, and I started meeting others who were in the space and I started learning more about blockchain. And then I met individuals like Sean Mannion and Heather Flannery who were, um, came from the health and science side of things. Um, and so then that sort of piqued my interest. And then I started thinking, well, how does this relate to the work that I do? Or how can I use this in, in my line of work? Um, and then the other thing is, the more that I started to attend some of the different events and things of that nature, and again, people talking about how this was going to change lives, for me, from a public health standpoint, I started to think about, hmm, well, this is all great. And if this can help improve the way that we deliver care in our healthcare system, and we talk about electronic health records, for example, things like that, or developing mobile-based applications and utilizing it for, you know, whether it be uh, remittance payments or microfinancing, things like that, um, 
for me, it then became important to think about, okay, well, that's all wonderful. And it's, so it's a good potential tool and resource. However, how do we factor in the individual? Yeah. You know, I, and it, for me, it, that came about by hearing more about the information of um, the talk around with blockchain individuals being able to have access to their, their records. Yeah. And owning you know, your own data in a way. Owning your data. So there was a lot of conversation about owning your data. And the more that I sat in on these conversations or took part of these conversations about ownership of data, for me it became a question of will will individuals know what to do with that data? Mm, yes. What does that data mean to them? So I can have access to my health records on my phone, I can take it to my doctor, I can show them this is my health history, for example, or this is my prescription history, or whatever information may be available. And then it was, well, we still have issues of health literacy, we still have <laughs> issues of health access, how does this tool improve access? How will this improve patient provider relations? Will patients still even know the types of questions to ask or what about these other outside environmental factors and that we can't necessarily put on the blockchain or that we can't control with blockchain how will this in tandem with improving some of the existing issues we already have in our healthcare system really help so that became sort of where i fit or where i felt that i could provide sort of a different voice or a different lens. Um, and again, that's kind of been where I've sort of found myself or played a role mm -hmm. whenever I'm talking to someone or consulting, for example, on this company, True Diary, that I work with, where it's just, which is a woman's um, based health application. Um, what do they do? That's interesting. It's, so it's a woman's based health application that's still in development. Mm -hmm. And it's basically to help, or the aim or the objective is to help reduce um, the, or address the issue of the maternal mortality rates, um, specifically among women of color, as well as improve access for women in underserved areas, so rural areas, for example, bringing access and care to them, um, and then just improving women's reproductive health, um, so other underlying or other issues that women face, whether it be um, gynecological care. So it sounds um, like the app tracks, helps you track your maybe right. menstrual cycle and um, uh, mm -hmm. other pregnancy things, maybe. That's what. Right. Signs and symptoms. So if there's an issue, you can kind of catch them high risk early on because that's all, you know, that can be an issue whether you have access or not, as we've seen um, in the last few years of women, for example, we can think of Serena Williams, um, having the access, having the, 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 the financial means, but still having issues um, with her pregnancy and her delivery and aftercare. So getting ahead of the curve um, or having, providing the information or catching things a lot earlier on if necessary. Um, so that's still, you know, we're still trying to figure out the best way to do that or get that out there and working with other uh, community partners or larger hospital organizations to implement that into their system. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's mm -hmm. really great. I think um, it's all about education at, in the end. Yeah. <laughs>
So you mentioned a few examples of public health, uh, how it could be used or how blockchain could be used in public health. But what are some like tangible initiatives that you may know about that are in the public health area and using blockchain now, or at least they're developing? Um, one of the most interesting things recently is the FDA blockchain pilots, which are underway now. Mm. Um, there's a couple companies in which they are looking at drug tracking or prescription tracking. Um, there's another company that I'm blanking on the name at the moment, but they utilize blockchain to provide um, more affordable prescription medicine um, to individuals. Um, so those are some of the things that I can think of right now, but there's a lot. There's another um, company that is utilizing blockchain in India and they're testing it out in India of um, improving, capturing health records and making them more electronic and digital as well as um, controlling things such as diabetes um, and um, yeah. patient care and things like that. So those are some of the really interesting things that I'm aware of that are being utilized. Patientory is another great um, tool that's being utilized as well, um, or that is another company doing great work in blockchain and blockchain and health. Yeah, and I think um, what's important to understand is, you know, which elements of blockchain or distributed ledger technology are these companies using? Like, is it the immutability of blockchain? Is it the um, censorship resistance level, you know, uh, feature of blockchain? So I think... Um, there are so many different variations of blockchain and decentralized ledger technology nowadays. So the conversation has become more complex and people are getting more, I guess, unsure about how to develop or what use case they should be focusing on. Right. And I think the biggest thing is thinking about and, you know, the important question to always ask is, do you actually need to use the technology or is it understanding what's already, it's like with any problem, it's understanding what is the problem, what is the main issue, and can it be solved by changing our protocol, changing the, our processes and systems. So reviewing what are our current policies, what do we have currently in place, where are our current resources. I think a lot of individuals, when they think about blockchain or want, or they hear the word, oh, it's immutable, it's private, you know, it can be more private, it's you can it's more transparent again it's what are you going to do with this information how does that actually benefit you or how does that actually help you and do you again do you need it or is it something that we can just fix what we currently have um and then later down the road think about whether or not this is a tool or resource that we actually need to utilize um because it takes time um and you'll need to bring individuals on in who understand it and know how to implement the systems and again it can be costly and and time consuming so yeah and i think like the the main feature the main idea behind blockchain for me in my mind is the ability to transfer value over the internet right and what is value right it's a really broad term and i think yeah. data could be valuable and i think a lot mm -hmm. of this um a lot of these healthcare use cases is about how do you transfer valuable data securely safely and then also ensure the right permissions around who's able to access that data. Yeah.
Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Recently, a new business network has been created based on an interoperability pilot program started from the FDA's Drug Supply Chain Security Act, or DSCSA. The original pilot participants included KPMG, Merck, Walmart, and IBM. This business network is called the Pharmaceutical Utility Network, or FUN for short. At scale, FUN will integrate regulatory requirements such as the Drug Supply Chain Security Act into the platform, allowing solution developers, pharmaceutical manufacturers, distributors, dispensers, software vendors, and others to comply with ease. According to the IBM blog, this transformation of the compliance process allows innovators to focus on using the data now available to them to fuel the creation and deployment of new cutting-edge applications onto the platform, leading to new business capabilities, business relationships, and eventually business models. FUN is currently working with initial participants to explore five pharmaceutical industry problem areas. Regulatory compliance, cold chain efficiency, drug shortages, drug recalls, and clinical trials. As large organizations start to realize the potential disruption that blockchain can have on their businesses, they are quickly coming together in order to leverage their market power and build solutions for a distributed future. I'll be watching this project closely and keeping you all up to date on its progress. And now back to the show with Dr. Tiffany Gray. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about other major public health issues. Uh, I think um, the coronavirus is definitely sort of becoming hot news now. And I think it's in China, it's definitely a, you know, epidemic could become a pandemic. People are talking about that as well. Um, and I think in my view, blockchain has the potential to allow people to know when a case has occurred in a more real time fashion versus like waiting for the news to report it. You can have a, if everyone was on some sort of system and then when they had the virus, it was reported automatically. Obviously that could be an invasion of privacy. So that's another discussion, but the idea behind it is kind of interesting in that there's, you know, real time reporting or transparency around who has the virus. Right. And I think, but that the key thing there is then trusting the person on the other end that's right. supposed to be reporting the information that they report the information. I think that was sort of, you know, in some of the reports that I've been trying to follow, I think that was one of the issues of people were presenting with system, um, with symptoms of, you know, the coronavirus or the virus itself, but it was taking a long time until people had to go in and dig and actually find out how many cases. So where they were reporting that it was a set number of cases, it was actually a lot bigger. Um, and so it's, again, it depends on, you know, you have to trust that this system is going to work in the way that it's intended to. And so the, it is. it would be great to be able, just like we do with supply and chain management, when there's a E. coli outbreak in spinach or romaine lettuce, we can track that, we know where it came from, um, and can address the issue and try to mitigate it. Whereas I think the challenge again here with the coronavirus was there were a lot more people who were presenting and actually had were sick um, and it took a long time to get that accurate number um, and get ahead of what was going on because there's fear, right? Again, there's fear of how is this going to impact travel? How is this going to impact our economy? The worldview of the country as we've, we've seen, it, it's, 
you know, bringing up and a lot of other issues uh, along with it. And it's creating this fear and panic around the issue um, where it's a matter of let's get back to basics. We still have a regular flu season that is hitting us and hitting us hard. And we've had tons of depth here in the U.S. where it's just, you know, basics. If you cough and sneeze, cover your cough and your sneeze. If wash your hands, sing happy birthday. Um, and just being, you know, those basic, get your flu shot. Please get your flu shot. <laughs> and, you know, those are just those basic things that we can do to help protect ourselves. And sifting through the information, I think, can be difficult as well. Of, of course, when there, whenever there's panic or fear and the news doesn't always help either but sifting through that and really understanding what's going on um, again if you haven't traveled to wuhan or the wuhan region or area um, or haven't come into contact you should be fine mm -hmm. um, but again just following those basic public health 101 um, steps can help protect from from the virus but again when it comes to utilizing something like blockchain it could be useful but again, ensuring that that information is entered, um, determining how, whether it be, you know, if it's based on symptoms or things that are entered so that you don't have to fear about that. Um, blockchain could potentially help us, you know, see if someone's tampered with data, for example, or change something like that. But hmm. um, so, yeah, but I, I, there is, again, good, you know, these are good potential um, cases that blockchain could really help um, down the line. It can help folks, you know, epidemiologists or researchers or folks, individuals at the CDC really truly be able to get ahead of things and be on it and be a lot more responsive in a more quickly and timely manner um, if we had something like blockchain in place for an issue such as this. Is the CDC and other institutions um, like it, are they, is the WHO, for example, are they getting involved with any blockchain initiatives these days? I believe um, that not sure about the CDC, but I do know, as I mentioned, the FDA has the blockchain pilots that, they, that they're using for the drug supply. Um, and I know that in certain organizations within World Health, World Health Organization or some other global health organizations have utilized blockchain or are looking to use blockchain, whether it be, in, again, in refugee camps or resettlement of individuals and being able to provide individuals with records or um, Thing, key information that they may need as they travel or move throughout different areas and different parts. So there are different individuals. There's an agriculture there. Um, I think there is a project in Haiti, for example, with tracking of mangoes. So working with farmers um, to be able to track the, the shipment and making sure that farmers are being paid equally and getting their um, fair share. So there are different pockets in different areas that blockchain is actually being utilized for, for good. Hmm. You know, digital identification um, is another key area that blockchain is really um, pretty useful for as well. So you're definitely uh, more on the innovative leadership side of things. I'm sure that a lot of your colleagues are not as excited about blockchain, for example. <laughs> what are, how are those conversations going and, you know, what what does it take? Have you seen a person who's a disbeliever become a believer, for example, and what made them change their mind? I think people are still in the, they're cur curious about what it is. Um, they're sort of in that place where I was a few years ago and sort of shifted um, just again, because I've become more 
um, aware of different projects or I just through my networks, I've become more exposed to it. But I think people are in the place of trying to learn as much as they can. Um, for many, I know, I know a lot of folks in academia and research for them, it's, well, what is this and how does this apply to public health or how can I use this in an academic setting? How does this improve the way that I can conduct um, the way that I do my research studies, for example? So I think people are aware, still learning. I think there's still, when people hear blockchain, they still have that conversation where they still think about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. Yeah. Um, and so it's just trying to let them know it's, it's, Bigger than that, it's the technology behind Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and that there are many different um, industries, uh, different areas that are looking into how this technology will be used broader. Um, but yeah, I think everyone is sort of still in that, in that early stage. I don't know that I've met, I mean, I've met a few who have kind of, learned about it and have become more interested and in looking into it a little bit more and digging into it. But yeah, so I think everyone's still in, it's still in the early stages for many. Yeah. And I think it's something that will, it will take, you know, many years for it to really become commonplace, um, similar to, you know, the internet. And I know that analogy yeah. has been used many times, but I, I kind of agree with it. Um, Let's change the subject a little bit. So can you describe the landscape of public investment for mental health care in the U.S. and then globally? Hmm. That's interesting. I think I do think that we're beginning to shed the light more on mental health. I think we have a long way to go, um, especially improving access, um, getting – and I think – the hardest thing is getting people to really understand um, the different ways that mental health can present itself. You know, I think of, I th in the our world now, and the world that we live in, I think everyone is dealing with some form of anxiety or stress, burnout. Um, I'm dealing with burnout myself and just kind of managing that changing perceptions about therapy mm -hmm. and seeking care. Um, I think again, with some of the more high profile um, that's or more celebrities coming out about their own mental health struggles is helping move the needle a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and I, because I, again, I think the biggest thing happening right now is that there's more conversation. There's a lot more conversation around mental health, mental health services, um, what that looks like, um, what it should look like. Um, I think we have a ways to go. Um, I think if there definitely needs to be more funding um, for the like area. The US, do you feel like the U.S. is ahead of the rest of the world or is it in the middle i mean if you compare to like developing mm -hmm. countries developed countries like is uh, i'm not totally sure i would say that we're a bit ahead i think um or sort of in the middle okay. um again i think we again there's a lot of room for growth everywhere yeah. um and again i think this is one of those things of again of 
where we talk about the role of things like culture and mm -hmm. perception, and that plays a huge part in addressing the issue or putting funding towards the issue. Um, I, I think that it's, you know, it's kind of, it's thrown around whenever we've had unfortunate events. Hmm. And so the rise, so the, the rise in um, mass shootings, oh, the, okay. and, and, you know, specifically in the U.S., it, it, you know, brings up the issue of mental health. That's when it becomes something that's talked about and then sort of forgotten on the back end. Um, but again, and mental health is much bigger than violence or, you know, these unfortunate situations that come about. Um, we have a huge issue, if we wanted to talk about it, the issue of um, our veterans and yes. service members and the issue of mental health um, and PTSD and all the trauma that they are faced with and deal with. And we have a system that needs to be much more supportive um, and provide access and resources for those individuals. Right. And mental health is, you know, another category of health. So you have physical health and people, I think, really can get a grasp of physical health, you know, work out, eat right. I think people, most people understand it. Not to say that they're doing anything about it, but they at least <laughs> understand it. But mental health is a little bit more obscure because some people might think, well, how does 10 minutes of meditation help me? You know, they don't, they don't know right. until they try. Or how does being in a social environment and dancing or talking to friends or keeping in touch with old colleagues, you know, how is that part of my health? I think it is a very important part of your health. Um, mm -hmm. You know, loneliness is a killer. And yeah. and it's okay to be alone. Being alone is different than being lonely, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important to at least exercise your mental health, be that meditation or even spiritually, you know, whatever works for you. Um, so I'm just glad that it's becoming more aware, like you mentioned, and people right. are, you know, appreciating it more. I definitely agree. And and like you, you made a good point about talking about like physical health. We have a headache. We know what to do for that. You, mm -hmm. you feel it. You take, you know, aspirin or you whatever method that, you know, is comfortable for you, you can go lay down and you feel better. It goes away. It's a lot harder to really describe the symptoms of mental health because it, it varies. It's different for everyone. I think when we think about I think when people talk about mental health, they think depression, they think, you know, alone, dark in a room, mm -hmm. you know, you're in the house for days or just that sullen. Sometimes there is that high functioning person, that friend that you think is doing well, doing great. And on the inside, they are wrecked mm -hmm. because it's something that you can't, I can put a bandaid on a cut. I can put an ointment on a rash, but when it comes to, certain aspects of emotional and mental well-being it's a lot harder you can't necessarily put a patch mm -hmm. on it it's not something that you can always just go ahead and fix and it takes time healing is not going to happen overnight it's something that you will have to continue to work on you're not just going to go into a therapist's office meet for a couple sessions and be done right. um you may have to for those on antidepressants there's stigma around taking medication for 
for mental health. Um, there's stigma around those dealing with really severe mental health issues. Um, and again, we have our conceptions of what we think they are, what it, how it presents itself, but it, it's different for everyone. And again, that, yeah, like someone can say, how are you lonely? You have all these friends, you have all this, all these different activities, or you're always on the go. But again, it's, you can have all of that, but still feel very, very alone. And again, as we mentioned, even with talking about the role of social media and how that creates yeah. this life of we compare, I do it, <laughs> um, of comparing where we are and, you know, you can make everything look rosy and great. And on, you know, on the flip side of things, things are a mess. And so I really do appreciate, I'm loving to loving seeing a lot of these grassroots movements or individuals who are being vocal about going to therapy and the importance of talking to one another, not texting, call, pick up the phone, go have coffee, meet up, um, or just getting outside the importance of, yes, in meditation and how it's a practice, you know, it's something that you have to stick with and, you know, change over time. And if meditation doesn't work for you or yoga doesn't work for you, finding something that, you know, works for you and whatever that looks like a healthy <laughs> a choice yeah. of course. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's just, you know, I love the, there's talk space now. So if you can't necessarily get it through access or physically go somewhere, you can use, you know, over the phone or talk with someone who is trained, a trained provider and help you work through what you may be going through. Um, and especially, and I think, again, it's really getting at youth. They, the world is a lot different from when I was younger. Um, I just see things, for example, what my niece is dealing with and the things that she's exposed to. And it's, it's just the world has changed. It's a lot different. And so it's changing the way that we have to look at a lot of these different issues and problems. Absolutely. And you mentioned being able to reach a behavioral health or mental health provider over the internet using like telehealth, for example. And I think that's really key and critical and that the demand for that is continuing to rise. Um, you know, I see it at my work at America. Well, there's plenty of patients and health systems looking for better access to mental health and behavioral health providers. Um, and I think it's going to continue to rise. Uh, hopefully we'll get more, you know, trained professionals to help with that. And I think over time, you know, as you said, it is a practice. So people have to, you know, also learn and try to like cope with themselves in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. So changing the topic a little bit here. So all of the things we talked about, uh, mental health, it comes down to also how is that data being shared as well? And there's this fear that people are going to hack your data and data security is not going well. Uh, and especially in behavioral health, you know, you might not want everyone seeing the records that your uh, psychiatrist is keeping, for example. So let's talk about how 
blockchain could potentially, and I hate to say that blockchain could solve all the world's problems because I know that it can't, so <laughs> that's fair. Um, but in terms of privacy and security and data sharing, I think blockchain does play a role. What do you think? Um, I think that there are, when it comes to that, I think, again, just like with any type of health records, of building in that level of privacy, um, I know that some of the work with um that I'm doing with IEEE, um, with Blockchain and Healthcare Global, we are starting to think about these types of questions of thinking about the ethics of utilizing blockchain technology and, again, making sure that the technology that's being utilized is protecting the individual at the end of the day. So, you know, building in, you know, it's just ensuring those who are developing on the back end of, of these tools is that they are really thinking about utilizing more of those private uh, DLTs or, or uh, blockchain tools instead of the ones that are more public. Um, and taking the same precautions as we do with regular medical records in the ways that we do now of, you know, just keeping things really secure. And it again comes down to trust and trusting the individuals on the other end um, who are protecting this information and making sure that the systems are in place. And so that's why I said it's really important to look at what are our current systems um, and what are our current policies? How are we doing already before we even implement um, or utilize or think about, you know, adding on an additional system to be able to transfer information? Because again, it'd be useful, right? If I switch a provider or I have to change a therapist um, they share notes, and those notes are shared with one another, and you sign your waivers, you sign your, your papers, um, but making and ensuring that the, all of that information is just being transferred in, in a safe and secure way. So there's potential for it, but again, it's just, you know, making sure that everybody is informed and on board and knows or educated on how to properly utilize the system to protect the the end user and giving individuals the options as well. Right. So, you know, just being upfront with patients um, and explaining to them what it means for them um, and the, the potential for their information and whether it be, okay, maybe they opt out, you know, so because I we're thinking on our end, it's going to make our lives easier, but individuals should have an option of, okay, if people are not on board with this, what is going to be our backup? I feel like in my experience, there hasn't been a lot of providers who took the time to explain to me what I'm signing when I'm signing things uh, sure. for consent and data sharing, whatnot. It's kind of like, oh, just sign here and mm -hmm. let's move on. So I think you're right. There could be more conversation around that. Um, and if it comes from the provider, that would be really meaningful as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a nice thing to you know, consider hopefully in the future that will be more commonplace. And then in follow-up to that, again, I also educating just the everyday person about you have a right to ask questions. You have a right to ask for what you need. You have a right to follow up and push back when you, I understand, you know, one of the hardest things is you, when you go to the doctor, you've got a couple minutes, right? You're in, you're out. They ask, they have to go through their checklist. Um, we're, we're dealing with that now, even in some of the, um, like in our to date, my day to day work with, with the tobacco control of thinking about 
quality improvement and quality. And, you know, sure, we would love for um, doctors to make that referral to the quit line, right? But that might be the last thing at the end of the day, or I may make that referral, but how do we know that that individual follows up? Mm. You know, is it more of a button in the system that individuals press? And even when that button is there, doesn't necessarily mean that doctor, that provider is gonna push that button to make that referral. So you can have all these systems in place, but it's about, again, really finding out, well, what is the barrier for you as a provider? Is it time? Um, is it the patient or the interaction? What is it within that interaction that can hold back or, or um, be a challenge in being able to share that information? And so that's just one of those things that blockchain can't fix, yeah. you know, or technology can't fix. It's, it, it's we're burdened and, and it's time consuming. And, you know, you can have all the, we can say, okay, let's have more cultural competency competency in uh, medical school education or in provider education and but then we also have to teach health literacy to individuals and you know within our communities and you know inform people and educate people of this is what you should know or this is what you should be aware of and again it's a lot of work <laughs> and you know a lot of it is it's things we want to do and we try to do but at the end of the day we're dealing with individuals who are going to make decisions on based on what's important for them. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is kind of what you're alluding to is the incentives around how what people mm -hmm. choose to do, what behaviors they choose to act on. And I recently interviewed a company at a Mass Challenge here in Boston. They're called Dynamicare Health. Mm -hmm. I think I'm saying that right. And they're, what they're doing is they're trying to coach people who are trying to quit tobacco or alcohol or other drugs, and they're actually motivating them by paying them giving them a monetary reward for um, passing like a test. So they have like a breathalyzer test. If they pass it every day or I don't know about all the details, but they would get some sort of financial reward. I think it's an interesting idea. I asked the person, uh, forgot her name, but asked her what if people are trying to game the system, right? What if they're just pretending to um, or having somebody else blow into the breathalyzer or something like that? Well, she said they have a bounty where they're actually paying people who are able to break their their system. So it's pretty interesting. What do you think about that model and concept? That's really interesting. I hadn't heard of that actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I th I think because then it yeah, ties into blockchain and cryptocurrencies in a way. That's what my thought was. Right. There's those idea of the like game theory and, and incentivizing people for utilizing um, specific components or things like that that that's really that's an interesting concept um i don't know how i feel about um paying people to because like at the end of the day it's what happens when the money runs out like how long do you do that well are you i think that could work if you are providing additional services so if you are providing part of it so too. they have coaching and counseling sure. so yeah. i think in combination with that that can help you know sometimes yeah if it takes I mean, we do it with food and snacks. That's how we get grad students <laughs> for research and things like that. Um, you know, there's always a motivation, but you hope to, again, get something out of it. I mean, all our research, some of the research work that I do now, again, it's we provide some sort of a sense of because you are providing time for your information, uh, you know, and sitting through and answering our survey. So I can get that. Um, but yeah, that that is an interesting concept. Again, I think 
it's about making sure that even though they're providing the coaching and incentives that there is again, continued follow-up or ongoing follow-up, ongoing access to services or continued kind of engagement with individuals to be able to ensure that it is actually having the impact Mm -hmm. that it's intended to. Right. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I know, speaking of incentives, actually, I know there is, her name is Tori Adams. Um, She's talked about utilizing blockchain for opioid use. I saw you um, in a webinar actually with uh, Heather yes. Flannery. I think you and Tori mm-hmm. and a couple other folks were on there, so that was interesting. Yes. Yeah, it was very interesting. And she's she's really, you know, she has a personal story with that of, you know, having gone through that and thinking about, well, maybe this is a a way that we can improve our current recovery systems of, you know, tokenization essentially of you know, you have to, you know, making it. Again, the rehab centers and the recovery systems to really be as invested in the care of the individuals um, as well. So that's that's always you know. But again, it's it's money can make people do weird things. That's true. Um, well, I can you connect know, you with that well, that company just so you can have that yeah. conversation. I think that'd be good for you to connect with them. That would be great. You know, you're in D.C., so what would you ask healthcare financial regulators to understand about this new decentralized economy that is being built out? Oh, hmm, that's a good question. I think you stumped me. <laughs> <laughs> what would I ask healthcare, or what I would want them to know, rather? What, or what would you I want ask? them to know or, or ask? Anything like you feel like is missing in their conversations that you would help, you can help provide or ask them to think about? I guess for me, the biggest thing is I would want to know um, their commitment to ongoing financing of of health and health systems and the technology um, for improvements and development. Um, so you'd like to get their, understand what their commitment looks like? Overall, like, yes. is it like a fast uh, thing or are they really serious about it? Are they serious? Because I think a lot of times issues are, they're the hot topic of the moment and then funding drops off. It's Political. not working. Let it go. Right. It, it's going to switch with the tide. So understanding that this is not something that is just hot, new, going to be in place for one second, one moment, this is going to be something that has to be sustainable. Um, There needs to be long-term funding. Funding may have to increase. Um, So asking where can we actually, how can we actually pushing for actual funding of it, just um, an integration into the systems. Um, So yeah, I, I, Again, I think the biggest thing is commitment, under, helping them understand the true benefit to the population. I think people, especially in finance, the financial world, putting it into dollars for them, showing them the return on investment, um, both short term and long term. I think laying it out in those terms will be helpful to get people to really see the importance of pursuing um pursuing the area so i think just i think again really laying out the case 
as to why this is important, um, knowing their commitment, um, providing and showing return on investment. Um, you also work in yeah. um, like do consulting for private industry firms, mm-hmm. right? What's um, so? Can you tell me a little bit about maybe the differences between working in the public sector and the private sector? I think again. The biggest thing would be, you know, a lot of times with, it can depend on, on the issue or the, the, the target population. Um, most of the time it's, again, as I mentioned, return on investment. So for a lot of times with the public sector, it's their outcomes are tied to funding. So for them, it's, yes, we want to help people. Um, we want to make an impact. Um but it's they're limited in funding. There's a set time um, or set limited resources that you're working with. Um, whereas with more of the private, I think there's a little bit of both too. Um, I think for them, it's I think a lot of times people, and it can kind of fall into both. Um, individuals want to see quick results. They want to know the now, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's something that's not going to. Um, show something quick and easy. Um, you have to let them both know that it involves putting in work and effort. Um, so yes, I don't see too much, or at least in my experience, that too too much difference between the two. But again, I think it's just a lot of times with private sector, they may have more of the funds um, or access or resources to do certain things, whereas with public sector, again, you can be limited. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, there's less but, money. Um, yeah, it's hard to get the res- those resources. Mm-hmm. Were there any a lot events? Of turnover. <laughs> turnover. You said. Yeah, turnover can be. People as can well. leave more frequently in the public sector. Yeah. Were there any announcements in the healthcare blockchain space that were very surprising or unexpected to you, and why? Nothing is of late that I can think of, um, at least that I'm aware of. Nothing too crazy or out of the norm. Um, I think at least right now, again, I'm really interested in continuing to follow these blockchain pilots and the reports that they put out um, and see what that means for the next steps. Um, You know, again, there's been a couple meetings um, I know in DC with Capitol Hill and folks have had different engagement with different um, politicians and representatives to begin again to spread the message of why this blockchain is important for all areas, but in, as well as in healthcare, um, some of which I've been unable to attend. But again, it's great to see that there is movement happening um, and the conversation is moving. Um, but yeah, so those are some of the things, um, some great work individuals are really getting out and speaking conferences and, um, some books on the issue of blockchain and blockchain and science and research and healthcare. Um, so I'm looking forward to see where that's going in the space, um, and see what happens in the next year or two. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I think one person I'm thinking of when you say research in blockchain is Sean Mannion, Science yeah. Distributed. So I'll be yeah. interviewing him later this year. So watch out for Very that exciting. episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have a fun. What was that? His book will be out. I'm very excited about that. Likewise. Me too. <laughs> if you had to have a microchip implanted in your body, where would you want it to be implanted? 
I don't know if I wanted to have a microchip in my body. And we do it with dogs, but I don't, ooh, where would I, hmm, if I had to, had to have it, um, I would have it in my arm or something like that. But Somewhere accessible I'm, like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that does creep me out about having microchips or anything implanted in my body. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, there's, People think there, are, you know, there are benefits to having something like a key inside you that you don't have to carry, you can't lose. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of people, like uh, I saw, there's in Sweden, there's like people having parties where they're all getting microchipped. It's like a, it's like a thing. Yeah, yeah. it's so weird. Right? It's to them, it's like a, that's the right thing to do. So everyone's got their opinion, right? Uh, but yeah. to me, it's interesting because I feel like in the future we might not need the microchip because people are technologies companies might just be using our faces as the indicators of who we are so that's even scarier because you don't even have a choice at that point i guess you can wear a mask all the time um that's an <laughs> option i guess you can have but it's a little bit weird right yeah i mean but i mean think about it talking about face we have face recognition we have yeah. fingerprint scanners on doors and on our phones and everything so it's not too far off at all um i think Things are being scanned at all times. Um, but yeah, but it would be quite interesting. You know, it's things that we thought were only in the movies are starting to take place and come exactly. to fruition. Yeah. What do you like doing during your free time? I know you're pretty busy. No, I love enjoying about talking about this. So I like to cook a lot. So oh, I nice. cook and bake. I love spending time in my kitchen. So I actually haven't even really had some time to really be in my kitchen in a minute to really just bake bread or try a new recipe. Um, so I, I love to cook. That's probably one of the things I love to do the most, cooking and hosting and having folks over for dinner. Um, running. Running is my outlet. Um I have a weekly, we call ourselves the track pack, a weekly track workout that I attend at bright and early in the morning. Um, but it's great to know that you can, you know, have this wonderful group of encouraging and supportive individuals um, all shooting for crazy goals. Um, actually, one of my, um, uh, the group members, she's actually going to be running in the Olympic trials in well we're in february now in a couple of weeks so we're very excited for her um so and i so you guys attempt- running at a quick pace then i'm sure it, she's i'm chasing after her yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. laughing me but she's yeah she's amazing um and then i have a local gym that i go to and they're another set of families so i love working out um hanging out hanging out with friends um and again, trying to keep my plants alive. <laughs> That's my goal. This, I said that earlier. My goal of 2020 is to keep all of the plants in my house alive besides my aloe vera plant. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but I love to, yeah, I love to cook and I love listening to podcasts. Podcasts is something I do on a daily. Um, so I have my podcasts that I rotate through. I love true crime. I am weird like that. So anything true crime, I love. <laughs> I'm fast again. I'm fascinated by human behavior. It's just it's like, how could someone do that? It's just, it's yeah, I love it. Um, so yeah, so those are the things I like yeah. to do. In my, no, you, my- you know what, I, Dr. Gray, you know what I love about you? you you're not only a public health, um, you know, leader, but you're also living what you're speaking. So I think the fact that you cook, <laughs> you uh, run marathons, these are all things that keep your health alive. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're no hypocrite at all. So that's awesome. <laughs> um, 
A uh, couple more questions. Do you have a favorite book or something that you would like to share with the audience? Favorite book is hard, but what I am currently reading is I the our, um, author Tomi Adeyemi. She released her, I, I read her first book, Children of Blood and Bone, and she released her second book. Um, I think it's Children of Vengeance. I'm blanking on the name. It's on my, my desk right now. But I love, I love reading anything mystery. So a fiction um, sort of mystery. Fiction. Book. I love fiction stories. I listen. Mm. I mean, I I've read. Oh, my other. So if I had to pick a favorite book of now is Elaine Welteroth's um, "More Than Enough." That book was. I was like, where was this when I was younger? <laughs> it's. I'm getting ready to reread it again. Just so, so inspiring. Um, so I would put that as if I had to pick a favorite book. That book was for me, definitely top three life-changing um lots of just regular notes to leave for myself and it's just so it it's inspiring and it was one of those things that could be also that it was much needed at the time so yeah more than enough and then michelle obama's becoming of course hmm. and uh shonda rhymes year of yes was also a really good book too so all these books of women leading and learning to well, live actually, that brings lives. up it brings up something I heard in the news recently. I think it was Melinda Gates announced like a $50 million uh, foundation for helping women reach their goals in technology or something like that. Um, how do you feel like the women in technology, I don't want to call it revolution, but I don't know what to call it, but just the initiative and like um, movement. Any thoughts you have on that? I think women are killing it. And I think it's what I've, also enjoyed i think women are saying we've been in this space we've been doing this a long time i mean i'm newer to it but women have been leading in technology and have been at the forefront of technology and it's you know it's now is the time where women are saying we are here and they're becoming more vocal and more present and we're seeing the you know there's conversations of course about diversity and inclusion and i think it's all being led all of these revolutions or advancements are being led by women gaining their voice and coming out and there's different ways of sharing their experiences now. And so it's much more at the forefront of things. Women are becoming more encouraged and empowered. Um, there's lots of work still to be done, um, you know, when, especially when it comes to funding and the, the number of women receiving funding. Like, yes, it's increasing um, and women are out here getting all those those dollars and and doing wonderful and great things but um yeah i think it's only going to go up from here but i i appreciate and all of the the leading women that are out there giving a voice to other women too i think that's another thing that's happening is women are helping encourage one another mm -hmm. to say hey this person is out here doing something great this person is out here doing something great and supporting each other in that manner so i think it's only going to grow do you have any resources or websites or places people can go off the top of your head oh man um i have people to follow i mean when it comes to women arlen was here um i know she's another great woman in tech a uh, woman of color and queer woman in in the field um i love bazoma st john she's amazing um I'm trying to think of who others. I mean, I think there's Walker Legacy is another resource. There's Black Women Blockchain Council. It's a great time to uh, shout them out. It's an organization um, that I've been working closely with. Um, so yeah, there's Black Blockchain Consultants. Um, 
there are, yeah, there's tons of, of, awesome. of resources that I can't blanking on, but there's, I mean, if you just search for it. There's yeah, just, you can start with the ones that you did mention. I'm sure people can get yeah. into their own rabbit hole. So, <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, well, that's kind of all I had in terms of questions, but I kind of want to know, is there anything else you want to share? Anything I missed, didn't ask you? Um, I think this has been a wonderful and great conversation. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I could just say where people can follow me. You can follow me at drgrayhealth.com um, or find me on Twitter at drgrayhealth. Um, and Instagram, I'm gray.r.t. Um, just had that for a long time. But those are places you can follow along in my journey. Um, I share my ups, my downs. Um, I'm getting ready to develop a healthcare module with University of New Hampshire Law School um, as part of their blockchain certificate program. So I'm very excited about that and seeing where that goes. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of things that are up and coming. Um, yeah. Awesome. Dr. Tiffany Gray, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it today. And thank you. It was a pleasure. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.